This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So I've been having discussions with some investors recently, mostly on Twitter, about the 2023 rally. So as we all know, it's been red hot. Many growth stocks are up 20 to 30% in just five weeks. Yeah, it's been crazy. Even some value stocks, though, have started rallying as well, including the banks. They were kind of dead there when their earnings came out and it wasn't looking too good, but they've even caught a bid. But these discussions were mostly with people who were out of the stock market. So they had sold at some point in 2022 and they were all triumphant, right? Because they had managed to avoid a lot of the big losses of last year. So even though we've seen this rally to start the year, they were still saying, hey, I saved myself a 20% or, or more decline by getting out last year and moving to the sidelines and just staying in cash. They were arguing with me like, look how smart I was because I saved myself. But most of those I talked with on Twitter were still out of the market. Even at the start of February, after the NASDAQ was up 11% in January. And so they weren't getting back in or getting any benefit of that rally. So to me, um, but they would argue with me against this, they were committing the biggest mistake a long-term investor can make. They were trying to do the dreaded market timing. Uh, The thing about market timing is it doesn't seem so difficult to time when to get out, right? That's the easy side of it. So last year, stocks were having a big sell-off on the, the Fed was raising rates at the fastest pace in 40 years. Inflation was over 8%. We're all thinking of the recession is coming or it's here already. Um, we're waiting for layoffs. The housing market basically ground to a halt as mortgage rates spiked. All of that, you could say, it seems obvious I need to get out and you know just wait in cash to avoid all the chaos. So selling seems to be the right thing to do right then. And many of the people I talked to on Twitter did sell like at a good time and got out and missed that carnage. But where the difficulty is and where the big investing mistake really comes in market timing is when to get back in. How do you know when to get back in? What if October 2022 was the bottom of that sell off? And you have missed quite a big rebound off those lows now. So if you miss out on even 5% or a 10% move, that can really impact your returns. You may never catch up. And I know it's hard to believe because you're like, hey, what's just 5%? But it adds up over a long time on compounding, just missing out on that one, uh, you know, that one month even of gains. There have been a lot of studies done on this, and I forget um, if it's, you know, who did it, but there was one study that showed if you missed the five largest market moves in like a bull market, then you underperformed. Like you would not even do what the indexes were doing, and that's just five of them. So sure, you could have avoided 2022 sell-off, But 
many of those, and I would say probably 99% are missing this rebound rally. And maybe this wasn't the bottom. Maybe October 22 wasn't it. So they're still going to look like, to some extent, geniuses, right? Maybe by staying out and continuing to stay out. But we know that when a bear market rally comes in, it is fierce. And if we're switching back over to a bull market, which some people seem to think maybe we have, then you've already missed out on a large chunk of that new found bull. So I decided to consult Jim Cullen's new book on value investing that I talked about on a prior podcast because he talks about this in the book. And remember, his book is called The Case for Long-Term Value Investing. Again, his name is Jim Cullen, CU. L-L-E-N, and you can buy it on Amazon. They actually sent me a copy of this book to read at my leisure, so I thank them for that. Um, And this is the book I was mentioning where it just has these kind of small chapters and you can just kind of pop around in it. So um, that's what I've been doing, but the book is very interesting and it's a good refresher for even beginner value investors. Um, Or those of us, again, who just have been doing it a while but need a reminder. And during bear markets is a good time to get reminders on why we're value investors because there's a lot of value out there, but it still takes a strong stomach to dive in because even value stocks will sell off in a bear market. So he has one chapter in here. It's chapter nine called, of course, Market Timing, but it's a secondary title that really tells it all. And it says, the silent killer. Yes, because you think you're doing the right thing, but you most likely are not. Uh, Most of us shift into cash when we're trying to market time, but not all. So market timing can also be chasing. Uh, He talks about both in the chapter, but I'm going to stick with cash for right now. And by chasing, I mean, you know, chasing whatever is hot. So you sell out of your value and you chase the growth because you're like, well, I'm not making anything here with the value and growth is soaring and I'm just going to go buy those. Um, Usually you time that wrong and usually buy like towards the peak of the whatever it is you're chasing and then you get burned that way too. But I'm going to talk about the cash and moving out and trying to time when something bad is happening and you want to, you know, quote unquote, save, save yourself, right, as a long-term investor. So he gives a story in the book about the experience of two investors. That's what it's called. And I'm just going to talk about what he says here. So he said he had two clients start investing with him on the same day in 1985. One of them, client A, they would come to New York once a year and to discuss what was going on in the stock market. Remember, this is before the internet, 1985. Um, you did have telephones back then, we did have that. But you know, people would have come to talk with their advisor in person. And um, that client always, he said, always expressed comfort with our investment approach. And then there was a second client, client B, the, the one who started on the same day, And he says, equally knowledgeable, but he went into cash perhaps five times during the course of 20 years. And that was mostly in response to various negative events impacting the markets. So he said, for example, client B went 50% to cash immediately after 9-11. 
while client A stayed fully invested and did throughout those 20 years. So he said, after 20 years um, since they started investing, I was curious about the performance of the two accounts. So he goes and he looks. Remember, client A just stayed the course and did not go into cash to try to market time. Client B did go into cash about five times over the course of 20 years. So that doesn't sound too bad, right? Um, five, just five times, 20 years is pretty long. So you would think you would be able to you know, catch up or get back in pretty quickly. You're not missing out on too much. But client A's return after 20 years, 1,501%. Client B, and you know, you know what it's gonna be, it's gonna be lower, right? But client B, 519%, even though it was the same 20 years and they started at the same time. Um, and we don't know what exactly they were each invested in, but um, usually they have the like, you know, they have their own investment approach at these firms. And so all of their clients are in it, in their same strategies. Um, so account A never left 1,501%, client B 519%. Um, they've also, he also mentions in here about this alleged study that used to people thought was going around fidelity. Um, remember Peter Lynch, I've mentioned him before, one of the greatest mutual fund managers ever. He uh, ran Fidelity's Magellan Fund in the late 1970s, I believe, into the 80s. And then he retired in the early 1990s. And um, that fund averaged 15% every year for 15 years. But the urban legend, the, the, the uh, Fidelity legend that goes around is that Many of the investors in that mutual fund never actually made 15% because they tried to market time it. They would throw money in in the years when he had a good performance because the 15 was just the average, remember? So some years were gonna be better than others. And then they would take money out in you know circumstances where there was a bear market, say like 1987's market. Um, even the early 80s, when it, there was a lot of selling off before the bull really started, the re the recession in the early 90s, they might have gotten out then, you know, freaking out. Gulf War One, maybe they got out then. There's a lot of reasons why people sell out on these like political events or um, you know just big global events in some cases or recessions and things like that. So uh, Fidelity apparently has denied the existence of the study showing that many people um, you know, never made the 15% because they never actually just bought and held and stayed in there and rode out the ups and downs. So again, market timing, very, very difficult. You, We all think we can do it. We all have tried it, I've done it. But really, um, your returns can be wiped out just by missing one big rebound rally. If the S&P 500 averages 10% a year, even just a one or 2% difference in return will make a huge difference in your overall gains. And it's pretty easy to miss a one or 2% gain because a lot of people just missed way more than that in the month of January here. 
So um, it just doesn't work, even though you think it will. And Jim Cullen's book often talks about um, how value can actually provide you somewhere to hang out if you are one of the ones thinking, oh, I need to market time. I need to sell this bear market and wait on the sidelines. So in the book, he often talks about how the bottom 20% of stocks in the S&P 500 um, can outperform in like these key five-year time periods. And especially during bear markets, because in bear markets, uh, it's usually the growth that's selling off even bigger than the um, value. So the bottom 20% of the stocks on a PE basis, you know, the cheapest ones um, usually are the ones that kind of, they're already cheap, right? <laughs> so they don't get as big of a sell-off in the times when there's sell-offs. And a lot of times the money does rotate into them. So they might even see some gains. So for today's podcast, I did a screen looking for these kinds of large caps. And I looked for over 10 billion in market cap. They had both sales and earnings growth. They had Zach's ranks of ones or twos, so that's buys and strong buys, the top ranks. They did have an earnings surprise last quarter, that's on the screen. And for value, I looked for PEs under 15. Right now, the S&P 500 is trading with the forward PE of 19. So under 15 would be pretty cheap. I don't know if that's the cheapest bottom 20% on a PE basis. But um, some of these you know, that I picked out here are pretty cheap on the PE basis. And so they've got to be, you know, they're definitely not the most expensive ones. So they're definitely down there with the PE of 19 still on the S&P 500. I did this screen. We only got 14 stocks. So that was pretty good. And this list is kind of interesting, I do have to say. So uh, I picked out five as I normally do. And let's see what's on here of these large cap, cheap stocks with the good Zach's rank and growth. That's quite a combination right now in 2023. So there were several airlines on this list and I just picked Delta. I consider it to be one of the best run. DAL is the ticker, D is in David, AL, L is in Larry. It's a number two, they're not paying a dividend. Year to date, the shares are up 20.2% because they had a good earnings report. They said everybody's still booking through early summer. Uh, you know, they're still super bullish. And so all the news was good. One year, however, the shares are down 3.5%. The S&P 500 is down 7.1. So they are outperforming a bit on the S&P 500. And the PE is 7.7. So it is very cheap here. Um, but some of this bullishness might be priced in here. These shares, all of the airlines are pretty volatile. So you might you might be able to wait, you might be able to market time this one and wait a bit and see if it comes down a little bit cheaper or dollar cost average into it. Okay, number two stock, AGCO, A-G-C-O. I've talked about them many times. Remember, they are the farm equipment maker, manufacturer. They have six core brands, Challenger, Fent, GSI, Massey Ferguson, Precision Planting, and Valtra. And they just reported earnings and they saw record fourth quarter and full year on sales and earnings. 
They reaffirmed 2023 and they said industry demand uh, is going to remain strong in 2023. So that's why they reaffirmed their outlook. One year, these shares are up 16.3%, but year to date, they're actually down 3%. So nobody's as bullish. It is a number two, does pay a dividend yielding 0.7%, and the PE is just at 10. So a lot of good things going on in farming right now, but the uh, the market, Wall Street, still a little, little bearish, it seems like here in 2023, even with this great report. So that might be one to you know keep on your short list. Okay, stock number three, Halliburton. Talked about them in the past. Ticker HAL, that is oil field services. They had a phenomenal quarter too. Now paying a dividend yielding 1.2%. There's X number two. PE is just 12.7. Um, year to date, the shares are down 0.3% because it does tend to move with oil prices, which have come back down into the 70s. And one year, however, up 21.4%, because last year was more bullish. And this is the oil field services. So as more drilling picks up, these are the guys who are cashing in. So great free cash flow for them and uh, earnings on the rise. And if you're not in energy at all, oil services is a great place to be. So I own it in Zach's value investor. We've owned it for a while now, but that's Halliburton, ticker H-A-L. And then uh, I tried to get a couple of stocks in here that maybe we've not talked about in quite some time, if ever. And the fourth stock is Jabil, 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 Jabil. I'm bad on these names. Um, by the way, I found out Meritage Homes, that I've always called Meritage, is Meritage. <laughs> it is. I knew it would be, but I kind of like the French name, as I've said before. So I'm sticking with my Meritage. They won't mind, I'm sure. But this one is Jabil, Jabil. JBL is the ticker. And this is Zach's number one. And they are one of the largest global support suppliers of electronic manufacturing services. They have 250,000 employees. So this is not small in 100 locations in 30 countries. And they reported preliminary Q1 fiscal 2023 on December 15th. They said performance was outstanding. That's a quote. And they saw, quote, strong demand, unquote. They raised fiscal 2023 outlook by 25 cents to $8.40. That is earnings growth of 9.4% over fiscal 2022, when they made 7.65. So year to date, these shares have taken off up 20.9%. And over the last year, up 38.2%. So um, it's got it's caught a bid here, and but still cheap because those estimates are on the increase and it was already a value stock. PE is just about, well, it's 9.97 or about 10 on the PE. It does pay a dividend, but it is on the small side, just 0.4%. And they have paid that quarterly dividend every quarter since May 15th, 20, or 2006. So that's a nice track record of paying it every quarter. 
um, through all the ups and downs. They did not market time, right? Uh, they paid it during the Great Recession. They paid it during the pandemic. That's impressive because a lot of companies could not do so in both situations. But Jabil did, and they're still cheap. Again, ticker JBL. And then our fifth stock is Picar. P-C-A-R, P as in Paul, C as in Cat, A as in Adam, R as in Robert, and they make trucks. There is X number two, and like several of these, they had record revenue and net income in 2022. They reported earnings on January 24th, 2023. They saw strong demand for DAF, Peterbilt, and Kenworth. Those are the new truck models worldwide. They saw that demand. We're seeing an increase in the fleet age with trucks. These are the you know big trucks, not not auto trucks. These are the the transports, the big ones. And um, so a lot of uh, businesses replacing those trucks. That's big business for Picar. Also electric battery uh, trucks are on the way, so that's going to be coming down the line. They are very shareholder friendly. I used to own them, I want to say 10 or 15 years ago. And I remember that they used to pay special dividends out back then when times are good and they're good again. So in um, this last earnings report, they raised their dividend 25 cents per share. They also paid an extra $2.80 cash dividend that was paid out on January 5th, 2023. And their total cash dividends for 2022 was $4.19. They said that's total shareholder return of 17.1%. That includes the regular and the extra cash dividends. That's pretty impressive. So if you're looking around for um, a stock that does have the dividend is gonna pay out on the income, then you might wanna add this one to your list. And again, on the actual like, you know, Zax.com or Yahoo Finance, they usually don't include the special dividends in that in that dividend amount there. So it shows a dividend yield of just 1.3%. So that's why you got to dig a little bit deeper, right? Um, how cheap is the stock? PE is 11.4 and uh, year to date, it's up 9.7. And over the last year, it's up 15 point one. So it did get a little boost off this earnings report, but again, still cheap like a lot of these. So let's go back to the original question about market timing. Can you do it? No. Um, the answer is no. You can, you can try. I've tried, but it usually does not end well. Maybe you might get lucky once and it might embolden you to try it again. But um, I wouldn't, if you did get lucky the one time, I wouldn't try it the second time because the odds are against you. And even if you didn't go into all cash, as I mentioned earlier, um, Jim Cullen's book does talk about how you might just try to market time, you know, either industries or hot, hot areas, that kind of thing. Think about how many who bought Kathy Wood's ARC K ETF in 2020 or even early 2021, as it was soaring, it was up 100%. We all wanted to dive in, right? I've talked about this in the past. I wanted to dive in. I looked at it and go, oh, maybe I should bet on Kathy. She's so great. And her fund, the ARK-K, has done so well since 2014. But 
then I resisted because that is market timing because I'm a value investor. There was no value <laughs> in RK at that time. So I stayed on the sidelines. I did save myself that time. And so as value investors um, or any investors, if growth was your thing or now if value is your thing, stay your course, stay invested, follow your strategy. Um, in this case with us, it's value and um, it's hard. It's hard to resist when everybody's running off in a different direction, right? Um, or even if there's the big sell-off and it's down as much as it was last year, that was painful. It's hard to look at your portfolio. Nobody likes to lose money, right? None of us. So that was hard, but you will be a better investor in the end. You will be the one uh, client A who had 1,501% instead of client B who had just 516% gains. I'd rather be client A, and I know you would be too. So now is the time on these kinds of bear markets to look around for great value buys. I just listed five that were value stocks with the high Zacks rank. Um, at least one of them I saw also had the style scores like the perfect A's across on both value, growth and momentum. That's pretty rare with the Zacks one or the two. That that's both are good, especially if you got the style scores across like that. So um, use everything at your uh, fingertips to find some of these great value stocks. Because if you think you're getting deals, then you may not be as obsessed with the trying to time the market. And um, you know, is this is this the end of the bear that we had last year, nobody knows. So you still may be tested again on more market timing going forward this year. But keep this in mind that um, those who stay in the game are the ones who end up winning in the end. And remember the great uh, mom and pop investor, Ann Scheiber, who I've talked about many times on the various podcasts. She was the one who took $5,000 and it was 22 million when she died. In the 1970s sell off, her broker said she never sold and went to the sidelines. She wrote it out, even though uh, many of her stocks were down 50% during that decade. But she did buy a lot of dividend payers. So she was getting paid dividends to kind of stick it out during those rough times. So that could be a goal for some of you. If you are faltering, you know, put one or two dividend stocks in your portfolio where you know you're gonna get paid something to be patient. And then maybe it's not quite as bad on the sell-offs. It's still bad, but maybe it uh, eases the pain a little bit to see those checks coming in and buying more shares on the cheap if you're reinvesting that money as well. So keep all that in mind, but market timing, it is the biggest mistake most investors make. We all make it at one time or another. Yes, probably even Warren Buffett. Has he ever said he's market timed? I don't know. I think he probably would admit he's done it at least once or twice. I'm sure, I'm sure of it. Um, but we all do it, you can, uh, you know, move on after you do it, but trying to avoid it is key. And so uh, stay in the game is my advice. 
Now, let me recap the stocks I talked about on this episode. So there was Delta, Delta Airlines, ticker DAL. There was AGCO, ticker AGCO, Halliburton, HAL, Jabil, JBL, J as in John, B as in boy, L as in Larry. And then Picar, the truck manufacturer, PCAR is the ticker there. But there's always value somewhere. So you don't want to miss a single episode of the Value Investor podcast because I'm bringing it to you every week. And there's even more to talk about from Jim Cullen's book, The Case for Long-Term Value Investing. There's some uh, interesting chapters. He finished writing this book in 2020, it looks like. So we don't have the updated data in there from 2021 or even 2022 about like growth versus value and all that. He kind of just puts question marks in some of what was happening with like the FANG stocks versus the dot coms versus the nifty 50. But I'm gonna cover all of that because we can still find out the data and what's happening. But there's some other interesting chapters on on uh, you know growth versus value that are in the book. I'm gonna cover those. So you don't wanna miss a single episode. Get us on Apple, get us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. You can get us with the Zach's Market Edge, the other podcast I do every week. Get a lot of stock picks through those two podcasts. That's on SoundCloud. If you're on SoundCloud, just type in Zach's Market Edge and you will get both of the podcasts there. But we're just about on every platform you could be on. So just Google us, find us somewhere and listen in. And I'll see you again next week with some more value stacks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.